Every generation has its great actors, from Paul Mooney, James Cagney, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Richard Burton, Marlon Brando, Paul Newman, to more modern icons like Robert De Niro, Gary Ullman, Al Pacino, Anthony Hopkins, Denzel Washington and Meryl Streep. But who are the icons of today? The ones who will be remembered in 50 years' time? If, of course, Orange Man hasn't destroyed us all by then. <laughs> For this podcast, we're going to be taking an actor and actress who we think deserve that shot of greatness. And we're all then going to discuss the merits of that person. The only rule is, they must have been born after 1973. OK, hang on, Jeff. Who's Paul Muni? Well, that's a really good point, Phil, because <laughs> in the 1930s, Paul Mooney was acclaimed as the greatest actor of his generation. He appeared in such films as he played Emil Zola. He also was in that groundbreaking he film. Played for I- Chelsea. <laughs> Go on. He, he was also in that groundbreaking film, I Am a Fugitive from a Change Gang, which got American law changed. But now he's forgotten. And to be honest, if you were to watch Mooney in anything, you would see him as sort of mannered and stilted so I guess where are we going with the eight people we're about to discuss they may sound great to us today but where do we reckon they will be in 50 years time will they be a Marlon Brando or a Paul Mooney and so Phil we're going to start with actresses and who is your shot at the actress who you think will be remembered in 50 years time Okay, so I am going with Jessica Chastain. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah cracker doll so you can check that box on your resume that says, while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead, or the other thing you're going to have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. Jessica Chastain, who is born in 1977, so just after our cutoff time. And what should I talk about first? I'm going to talk about the different sort of traits that I think that she has that makes her an actress of our generation. So she currently has two Oscar nominations one for actress in Zero Dark Thirty and one for supporting actress in The Help. She definitely should have won for Zero Dark Thirty. Absolutely. So the next thing I was going to say is I think she's got huge range. So I've, I've jotted down some of her films. She has been in blockbuster films. So she's been in the likes of X-Men Dark Phoenix and Huntsman's Winter's War. She's been in horror films. So she's been in Mama and she's in the upcoming It's Chapter 2. She's got an animated film under her belt in Madagascar 3. She's done Shakespeare with Ralph Fiennes in Coriolanus. She's done some really intriguing art films, which I have to admit I've not seen. She's done a, a trilogy of films called The Disappearance of Eleanor, Eleanor Rigby with James McAvoy. And one is from the woman's perspective, one is from the male perspective, and one is from the duo's perspective. And it sounds like a very good art project to me. I've not seen them, unfortunately. She is politically outspoken and iconic and she sort of reminds me of the likes of sort of Jane Fonda in that regard. In terms of the films that she's done and the directors she's worked with, already, given that actually one of the other things I was going to say, she actually started late so that in her filmography she started at the age of 27 years old, so sort of later than most. In that time she has worked with Aaron Sorkin, John Madden twice, Guillermo del Toro, Ridley Scott, J.C. Chandler, Christopher Nolan, 
Catherine Bigelow, John Hillcoat, Terence Malick, Al Pacino, Ralph Fiennes and Jeff Nichols, which is a ridiculous set of directors to have already sort of worked with. I would say her best films so far are Take Shelter, which is a nice independent film with Jeff Nichols, Tree of Life with Terence Malick, Zero Dark Thirty with Catherine Bigelow, Interstellar with Christopher Nolan, A Most Violent Year with J.C. Chandor, The Martian with Ridley Scott, and Crimson Peak with Guillermo del Toro. It's a ridiculously good career. She's only 42 years old. She's going to be doing a lot more in the future. So that's that's my pick. It's an interesting choice. I do agree with you. There's a couple of films I think you missed there, which she's really good in. So one is Lawless. Which is a film with John Hillcoat, isn't it? Yeah, Tom Hardy film as well. Uh, which I thought was really good, and Molly's Game, which I thought she was excellent in. Oh, she was brilliant in that, yes. Um, So both of those. Crimson Peak, which you mentioned, I I thought she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I really liked that when It Chapter One was made, and they had no thought who was going to play these characters as grown-up, there was an immediate petition for Jessica Chastain to play the grown-up girl. She was the first adult performer cast. My worry with Chastain, there isn't a role that you can lock on to because she's so chameleon-like that I think unless she finds that Meryl Streep-type performance, I think she could fade. And there's nothing against her talent, which I think is fantastic. I, I just wonder whether she's got enough to, to, to long right. stay. Do you not think she's multi-talented then? I think she's she can turn her hand to almost any performance, really. But there's a problem with that, in that if you don't get the iconic role, and Streep had a number early on, I mean, Kramer versus Kramer, for example, and, and those sort of films that carried her through, don't get that iconic role, you could disappear. Do you not think that Zero Dark Thirty was her iconic role? I don't really. I think... She was good in that film, but I, I don't think anybody particularly stood out. The theme stood out more than the performances for me. Oh, wow. I would totally disagree with that. I thought she was the central nexus through which everything else flowed. I mean, even when you got the sort of the really hairy, big, tough guys come in, within moments they were focused on her and they were following she was the what she, she was. The, she was, and the the stuff she had to go through in the sort of intense interrogation sessions and all of that stuff, building her character up the front. I thought that was just brilliant. It just carried me along. I I, I don't think it's any different to an episode of Homeland at its best. Oof. Harsh. Her oh. iconicness is probably in that sort of really intelligent, strong, fast-talking woman. So you mentioned Molly's game. Miss mm. Sloan is a similar sort Ms. of Sloan role. Miss Sloan is brilliant, um, absolutely brilliant. The Most Violent Year and Zero Dark Thirty. They're all sort of really strong, intelligent characters. But they're not successful films. They're not financially hits, are they? And that's the danger you've got here, Phil. Okay, yeah. I just think that's the danger. I think she's great. I think she's a real talent. I love her political view. She takes no prisoners, no shit from anybody. She just needs a box office hit to cement it. And at the moment, I don't think she has that. Maybe It Chapter 2 is the one. Maybe she thought that X-Men Dark Phoenix was going to be the one, but we all know how that went. Yeah, And she sadly. was shocking in that film. You've got to be honest. Yeah, well, she didn't have anything to do, did she? Other than sort of look a bit eerie and say a few weird lines. That was about it. Looked like something out of the Children of the Damned, to be quite honest with that makeup. <laughs> okay, no, that's interesting. So 
Potentially, yes, for 50 years, but she has to find, to my mind, that significant role to cement her legacy. I would actually go out of my way to go and see a film that she's in. I think she is that good. Yeah. I mean, if she's in a film, I'll actually... So if she's in a film, you'll go watch it? No, I would actually... Okay, I'll see you in September for it, chapter two then. No, 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 no. You or, walked or, into or that X, one. I'm or sorry, X-Men Graham. Dark Phoenix. You're yeah, you didn't which see I that said, Which I haven't seen. But as Phil said, she hasn't got much of a role in that. But no, I would actually, if it's something uh, that she's in, I will actually consider going and seeing it. So you consider seeing it? Oh, yeah. Too. I've considered it already. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on. Neil, who's your actress? My actress is Emily Blunt. It was a perfect teaching job. It was local. Oh, it was eight God. years of studying just down the tube. I'm so you know? sorry, babe. I'm going to be married within the year. I'm going to be pregnant within two years and no career. I'll just be changing nappies and washing dishes and making apple pie. I just, you know, and I want that. I want it all, but I want to have the career as well. It's not enough for me. I mean, it's fine. You know, I can reapply next year. You don't have to get upset. It's fine. Why do you always turn things into your thing? No. Come on. I'm sorry. What? I can't help it. It must be the hormones. What, are you that time of the month again? Always on your period. No. What is it then? Are you pregnant? Just a little. Just a little? Emily Blunt, partly because she's lovely. (laughs) She has a list of films with an incredible success rate. Fantastic actor, seems to be able to do anything. She can go from Mary Poppins to Edge of Tomorrow. She can go salmon fishing in the Yemen to A Quiet Place. Is she in that? Yes, salmon fishing in the Yemen, yeah. Yes. I didn't realise that. Yeah. I wouldn't have said it otherwise. She's the co-lead with you and McGregor. I have to go back and yeah. that. I love yeah. that she's film. The love interest. I mean, she did Into the Woods and Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, I mean, Into the Woods, she's a sort of silly thing. I mean, also Meryl Streep was in it, as well as Devil Wears Prada. She actually had to lose a significant amount of weight for Devil Wears Prada, and she is fantastic in it. And she seems to be doing anything the ability to just go onto the looper quiet place wolfman she um the edge of tomorrow she's the full metal bitch it's and she does it <laughs> extremely well i just think she's got a, such a range she just seems to be able to do stuff the quiet place you were raving about oh, at she a quiet place that, yeah. there's a subtlety to her and each film is enhanced by having her in it and witness that sicario Sicario 2 is awful, and the main reason for that is that Emily Blunt wasn't in it. You make a fair point, Neil. And do you know what? Favreau's first choice for Black Widow was Emily Blunt. Yeah. And she's lovely. Go on, Jeff. You make a fair point, Neil, but can (laughs) Uh I ask a question? In all seriousness, a good question. Do you think she's this generation's Julie Andrews? Ooh. Well, she's taken on Mary Poppins, but no, I but, don't think she is. Well, because she does that. so much more than Julie Andrews ever did. You're right. Mary, the Mary Poppins reference is, is obvious. Yes. But also films like Into the Woods, which is a musical which Andrews made in. That was a whole well. load of people who can sing, hands up, everybody, <laughs> you're in it. But, but also, she was in a film I really love called Five Year Engagement. Yeah. I think she's tremendous in that. Again, Julie Andrews has a great range of comedy. Yes. Great comic actress. But she does serious too, properly. I mean, A Quiet Place is 
talking about pretty it, Neil, like you've seen it. And I haven't seen it, no. <laughs> Sicario, she was outstanding. Yeah, she was, brilliant. At Edge of Tomorrow, she did action and properly. It was extremely good to see her running around, belting the crap out of things. It's just, she's just got something, and she's she's human. And, and that sort of, I think, helps that she's going to be able to survive quite a long okay. time. From my perspective, where I think you've succeeded, where Phil made a good case for Jessica Chastain, mm. but I think Emily Blunt has a breakthrough role uh, in in A Quiet Place and now A Quiet Place 2. It's going to cement her in that sort of role. I still think the Julie Andrews label will stick with her, but I think she has more chance of the breakout. I mean, she's a great performer. I love watching Emily Blunt in movies. I think her comic timing is fantastic. And, and, and unlike Jessica Chastain, she stands out. You know she's in the film. She is a big presence and I think that comes across as well. I think she's got a great range so she's done some really good comedies. You mentioned the five-year engagement. I think it's hilarious. Devil Wears Prada as well. She's mm. done musicals. We mentioned Into the Woods and Mary Poppins. She's done some great science fiction films. So Looper, Adjustment Bureau, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. and I guess A Quiet Place yeah. maybe in sci-fi horror. Girl um, on the Train. She hasn't got any Oscar nominations yet, which I think is a bit odd, actually, given that Sicario, for me, is her crowning achievement. That's the best film and the best performance, I think, that she's done. Hands down, it's just phenomenal. I'm surprised that she's not got any Oscar nominations for either Sicario or for Mary Poppins. I'd say Jessica Chastain is more like your intelligent sort yeah, of um, maybe. actress, whereas Emily Blunt, Neil said she's likable and i think that's exactly that right she's just problem. she lights up a screen and they're both you know different qualities i think she's a really really great actress well i'm going to contradict myself slightly here but i do think that i think she's a great comic actress but i think to my mind she should have been certainly in contending for oscar nominations for both a quiet place and girl on the train i'd forgotten about girl on the train but the way she played that woman you know that alcoholic and the way she didn't wear makeup in it and and just look pardon the expression rough in that yeah. film I, th- I thought was really good maybe Amazed. she's just not being taken seriously yet and, and, and as you point. say that may be the thing that she needs is something weighty to get her teeth into but, but she's going to get the iconic role the quiet place and the quiet place too is that iconic role that's going to follow her but you're right she needs the nominations now I mean, sometimes it's just you need a bit of luck for the Oscars, but I still think she'll be around in, in several years to come and will be thought of as one of the greats. Mm. Okay. Graham, over to you. Well, I'm going a bit younger on this one. I'm, I'm going for Brie Larson. I had been given the script and I was familiar with the book. I had read it about a year prior and I thought the script was beautiful and and it contained all the things that I loved about the book, but it gave a more in-depth approach to Ma, and so it was this beautiful opportunity to take a story that I loved, but create a more complete character that we could really see in all of its complexity. And I always wanted Jacob to feel like he was a real creative force in this, that he was someone that understood what was going on, and that he was able to make the conscious choices that he wanted to make and felt supported in every step of the way. She's only 30, but I think that she has incredible potential. And I know Jeff's going to go, oh, God, Captain Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, 
But she I, was the best thing in Captain Marvel. I was using that. I thought I think Brie Larson is very talented. But carry on. Everything I've seen her in, I've really, really liked. Uh, I mean, she does already have the uh, Academy Award for Best Actress under her belt uh, for the absolutely incredible performance she did in Room. But yeah. she's also done again. She's done comedy with things like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which she is excellent in. She's camping it up properly. Oh, properly camping it up. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Twenty One Jump Street. But she's also done action stuff other than Captain Marvel and Endgame. She's done Kong Skull Island, and I think yeah, that's that really really good. good. She's good in that. And I just like her work ethic, really. She researches things. She goes and lives with people that she's going to portray and that sort of thing. So for for Room, for example, she interacted with specialists on sexual abuse and researched the lack of nutrition and what that would do to a person in captivity. To achieve the look, she, she stayed away from sunlight, modified her diet, exercised intensively to lose weight. Now, that's sort of full on method acting. The thing I like about her is she's not very glamorous. No. You know, she's oh, not. What? No, she's a very attractive woman, but she's not like Gal Gadot or, or one of the incredibly beautiful actresses that have. She's a very pretty girl, but plays very plain and ordinary people. I, Even in Captain Marvel, she she dressed down and she was a fighter pilot and she was like more of a, a woman than a sex symbol. And I liked that about her. I really did like that. And I really loved Room a lot. I thought that was a fantastic film and really showed her complete range. And I think, unlike the other two actresses we've already mentioned, um, I think she's got miles to go. She's got a very 80s face i think 70s i would say 70s i'll come come back to 70s in a minute and i just think she's just very different very appealing and i just think that the acting is all she really cares about actually portraying a role is what she's very good at and i i really like her stuff i think the the thing graham said there that really rings true to me that is potential so i think if we were doing this based on potential i think she's probably leagues ahead of the other people we're talking about but i don't think she's done enough yet for us to sort of talk about so i completely agree with the comments on room i thought that was phenomenal and obviously she's won the best actress oscar as a result but when i was looking through filmography there's a lot of smaller parts um in there prior to room and then after that i'm not totally in love with the films that she's done since so free fire and kong skull islands were both okay but i didn't love them i like captain marvel but it's not one of the best marvel films what is um potentially i just think there's a lot there like just just from that performance in room alone you can just see how good she is and what graham was saying about her work ethic and what you can see that in um obviously he mentioned room but you see all the work that she did to portray captain marvel but the other bit that I like about her again, and I I mentioned it with Jessica Chastain, is that, again, she's another really politically outspoken woman sort of about the younger generation and stuff. And there's a, I I remember um, there's a part of her Captain Marvel press tour. There's a shot of her in a super glamorous dress on the red carpet, kneeling down, talking to a little girl. And it's just, you know, every time you see her on these sort of things, she's willing to sort of talk to the younger sort of generation and stuff. So, Potential, yes, but other than Room, I'm not sure that I could hold up another film that she's done in the same light as what we've talked about before. 
Well, interesting you say that because of the three, I do agree with you, this is the one with the most potential. And I think she's already shown it. She's already got her Oscar for Room. For me, both Kong, Skull Island and Free Fire, that whole 70s vibe that she portrayed, I thought was really, really good. I'm not a fan of Captain Marvel, as you know, but I thought she was really good. But let's look beyond that. She's already directed films. Yes, yes, yeah. She's already, as you say, a political activist. Yeah. I mean, look at what happened when she was... Did she hand that Oscar to Casey Affleck? I can't remember what she did. No, she, uh, she wasn't very happy about it. We know that. I, th- I think she did, but I don't think she looked particularly... No, she she didn't I don't, I'm not sure that she hugged him or anything like no, that. No, <laughs> So I think she's good. She's trendsetted. She's now... She is Captain Marvel to all yep. intents and purposes. So you have a role that you can identify yes. Brie Larson with as opposed to everything else. The Oscar directing. My worry is here is this could be another Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence has, to my mind, lost interest in the whole thing. We're not mentioning Jennifer Lawrence tonight, and I think that she's passed, in a nice way, passed the prime. In, in- she was passed, I'm going to be controversial, she was per- passed her pa- prime after her first movie. She was incredible in Winter's Bone, but and I've I, never I seen her also, do anything. No, I, I also thought she was good in The Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, when she started with David O. Russell in Silver Linings Playbook, I thought yep. that was good. Yeah, but I think, them, it's, I think it's a burnout. She's shown no interest in the, you know the way she left the X Men franchise yep. as part of the reason for the failure of Dark Phoenix, and that's the danger I see with Brie Larson is that she's had it all. She's thirty, directing no, big star no, Oscar. Point, she yes. could burn out if she can hold it. Yep, she's going to do well. Have you seen Unicorn Store? Have you no, seen that? No, that's, that is on my list to see. Uh, she so, directed so what, and produced that, yeah. didn't she? Yeah. So what I would say, so I kind of I understand where Jeff's coming from. I agree that that's a possibility. But what I would say is whilst I thought Unicorn Store was fine, it's, it's not going to like light up any sort of like um, awards or anything like that. What she did with that is she did something quite unique and interesting um, and it seemed like it might be sort of quite close to her heart. So what I'd like to see, and this is kind of like a fingers crossed sort of thing, is that Captain Marvel fame and money will allow her to go and do interesting choices. And I and I think maybe wow. that's what she did with Unicorn Store. Yes. And I'd like to see, you know, if she's going to appear in, an, in a Marvel film every other year, does that mean she can do something really exciting and go and seek out the likes of Terence Malick and David O. Russell and Catherine Bigelow, et cetera, and, and go and do something unique and interesting that she doesn't have to worry about it landing because she's got Captain Marvel? That's a really interesting mm. point. And that goes back to what you were saying, Jeff, where you need this iconic role. Yeah. And, and, I, I and that gives, and yeah, and I agree, Phil, that gives her the sort of the status and the financial stability to, of a big film every couple of years. And then she can basically do hers, uh, not hobbies, but her sort of vanity projects almost. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for that. So let's go on to my choice. And my choice is Emma Stone. For the first 30 pages or so, I was like, well, she's just this sweet kind of, you know, she's taking care of everybody. And, and then as it unfolded, I realized that was going to be the great fun of, you know, every scene. She evolves more and more and has a lot of uh, darkness in her and a lot of survival tactics that are questionable, probably, at best. Are you following I said, are you following me? You seem to be following me, sir, as I am in front of you. 
That was you I saw on the horse this morning. I'm a servant. Where would I get a horse? Perhaps you dreamt of me. Perhaps it was you, and I should have you stripped and whipped. I'm waiting. Now, Emma Stone was born in 1988. I think she has real Catherine Hepburn qualities. She's very sassy. She had a lot of minor roles. She did a graft. She ended up, you know, I didn't even notice her in the first time I watched Zombieland. It's only when I go back to her, I think, oh, that's Emma Stone. But her breakout role for me was Easy A. I think Easy A is a natural progression of the films of John Hughes. She is just fantastic in that. You, know, you really take notice of her. We spoke about Booksmart, but as I think, you know, Booksmart had problems getting into the characters. Emma Stone in Easy A brought you right into that character from the beginning. You were with her all the way. She then consolidated that with the help, built a commercial credibility with two Spider-Man films with Andrew Garfield. Yep. And I thought she was fantastic in those. Even in a film like Gangster Squad, which you know has uh, certain qualities, but her singer quality or nightclub host mm-hmm. quality in that I thought was great. She won her Oscar for La La Land, a film I have a few problems with. She immediately used that to project herself into such films as Battle of the Sexes, who Billie Jean King was amazing. Was very good. Yep. And then, of course, we got The Favourite, and I think she was the most underrated of the three stars of The Favourite. She... They were all good. I don't think we can split those, I can. those three. I can. Yeah, I'll bet you can. Yeah, I bet yeah. you can. So but... she's, she's built that really great critical quality. So now she's going to go into films like Zombieland 2 and Cruella, and this is quite important considering the, the other three that we've spoken about. This is an actress who's also using TV. She did that short series, Maniac. So I think that with the quality of the roles that she's doing, this is an, definitely an actress that's going to be remembered. I really like her. I think she's mm. brilliant. I loved her in The Favourite. I thought she was the best thing in it. Everybody else went for the other two, but I thought she was fantastic. Really good. And she dodges books so well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And treads on rabbits. <laughs> you haven't you haven't even mentioned Birdman, which is her oh, other. Yeah, yeah. She got an Oscar nomination. The, for. the thing is, there's so many good things you can mention about Emma Stone. It's quite easy to forget one or two. <laughs> so yeah, so, so my thoughts were so good she's recovery. actually uh, the same age as Brie Larson, give or take a few months, I think. But if you think about all the films you can name, so I don't think you mentioned Superbad. I don't think you mentioned Crazy Stupid Love. So she's in The Help with Jessica Chastain, who's my pick. I think she's really great. I really think she has an iconic look as well. Um, I'm not sure how big her eyes actually are, but they just seem to always, <laughs> you know, it's her big, best sort of visual feature. And I'd love to see her in um, some sort of zany sort of screwball comedy type thing. Maybe we can get her into a, a Coen Brothers screwball comedy. That'd be good. You know well, I think that would um, be really good. Yeah. She also has a good knack of picking sort of co-stars and directors and stuff. So I think you mentioned Gangster Squad. We mentioned La La Land, which is amazing, frankly. Oh, yeah. I can't Fantastic. believe anyone would have any issues with it. No, and no, Crazy no, no, no me. Which she all, all appears in with Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah, Ryan. We're going to be talking about him shortly. It's an interesting move that she's now made. You know, she spent a couple of years making art movies, essentially. Battle of the Sexes, the favourite. To an extent, La La Land. I mean, to what I will say about La La Land, it's a hell of a brave thing to make a musical in this day and age. Yeah. In fact, he's remade New York. New York is by neither here nor there. <laughs> but, yeah, these are films that are taking chances and she's starring in them. 
So now to go from those to Zombieland 2 and Cruella, where she's playing Cruella de Vil, that's a bold move. So what do you reckon of those four then? Who's going to be the one we remember the most in 20 years? Well, we years don't time? know 50 years, and you're going to be the uh, only one alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you'll probably win. My, my bet would be Brie Larson. I think, having listened to all the arguments around, yeah. I think Brie Larson. I think she's got. I think she's smart enough, you know, and she's very, very picky about what she does. Yeah, and that helps, I think. You know what else? When I was going through this, I thought, wouldn't it be nice and controversial to pick a woman of colour? Well, they I just don't get the roles, do they? No. I mean, I looked at Janelle Monet, you know, the girl who was in Hidden Figures and yeah. Welcome to Marlin, Marwin and Moonlight. Well, there's um, Gemma I'll... Chan, Danai Garay, uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, yeah. Now, actually, the Peter Nagongo is, is yeah. really good, actually. Yeah, thank yeah, you. That's fair. Okay, so let's okay, go on to actors so. then. Bill, back to you. Okay, so my pick for actor, and I know that this is going to be a struggle with uh, Jeff, so bear with me, guys. It's <laughs> Ryan Gosling. <laughs> this is your basic mortgage bond. All right? The originals were simple. They were just thousands of AAA mortgages bundled together guaranteed by the U.S. government. The modern ones are different. They're private, and they're made up of layers of tranches. The highest level AAA is getting paid first. The lowest rated B is getting paid last, taking on defaults first. Now, obviously, if you're buying Bs, you can make more money, but they're a little risky. Sometimes they fail. Somewhere along the line, these Bs and double Bs went from a little risky to dog shit. I'm talking rock-bottom FICO scores. No income verification. Adjustable rates. Dog shit. The default rates are already up from 1% to 4%, fellas. And if they rise to 8%, and they will, a lot of these triple Bs are going to zero, too. And that is an opportunity. Okay, you're saying that at 8%, the bonds fail, and we are already at 4%? That's right. If they go to 8 it's Armageddon. Yeah, that's right. Ryan Gosling, I reckon possibly I have an affinity for him because he's literally two months older than me. So maybe that's why I seem to enjoy his stuff the most. But he's been around for a long time because he was a child actor. So he was in the Mickey Mouse Club and did a few How ironic, Phil, eh? Um, <laughs> and he did a few sort of children's programs as well around sort of 2000 he sort of turned into like swapped from sort of children's stuff to adult stuff so he appeared briefly in remember the titans and murder by numbers so got to act alongside denzel washington and sandra bullock but his real breakthrough i'm not totally interested in but if we're talking about iconic roles that everyone remembers is the notebook which is just like a huge romantic comedy in terms of sort of real put that razor down but but from there he has been in i'm going to read out about a dozen films because i think all of these films are either astoundingly good or feature an astounding performance from him so he's been in half nelson lars and the real girl blue valentine drive crazy stupid love the ides of march the place beyond the pines only god forgives the big short the nice guys la la land song to song Blade Runner 2049 and First Man. And the bit I like about that as well is he's worked with quite a lot of really big directors. So he's worked with Nicholas Winden Refn twice, Derek Sanfrance twice, Damien Chazelle twice, Dennis Villeneuve and Terence Malick, all of which I just think are like huge sort of directors. So he's had 
two Oscar nominations, one for Half Nelson, which was his kind of breakthrough in terms of acting, in terms of serious acting, I guess I, I should say, and for La La Land, which he um, essentially learned to play the piano for and um, sing and dance. He's done Gritty and Dark with like Half Nelson and Only God Forgives. He's done romantic musicals with La La Land's comedy. I think he's really, really great comedian, actually, in terms of the timing. So The Nice Guys is hilarious and Crazy Stupid Love as well. Science fiction with Blade Runner, indie stuff with Lars and the Real Girl and The Place Beyond the Pines, which if anyone hasn't seen The Place Beyond the Pines, it's one of my all-time favourite American films over the last decade. And I don't think enough people know about it. And then in terms of his style, and this is the bit where I think it's a lot of people maybe don't sort of see this is he's an actor who keeps everything like small so he really trusts the camera he, in my opinion he couldn't be a stage actor with the way that he performs because everything that he does is about introspective small movements small moments and what he trusts is that the director is going to zoom in on his face or you know his body movement and, and pick that up and edit it together properly. It's like a real film actor rather than sort of big and dramatic. And in terms of iconic roles, Drive, La La Land and Blade Runner 2049, as far as I'm concerned, are all modern classics and should be remembered for a very, very long time. Yeah, and that's it. I, I actually, I've, I think he's one of the greatest working today and I really look forward to Jeff slating me for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's start then. I watched him in Drive and I was very impressed. I watched him in Gangster Squad and I thought, this could be a new Steve McQueen. I then watched him in Blade Runner thinking, hang on, he's giving the same performance again. Oh no, I realise it's the same performance in every film. You say it's a minimalist, it's minimalist because he doesn't turn up. Oh God. I mean, the guy is, he's a con artist. Oh. He's like the Trump of acting. He just takes your money and run. <laughs> Lads, Brilliant. over to you. Do you want me to kick him now? <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah, easiest thing. I think we'll we just put him, him down. I think that that's the bit that I don't know I feel like you either get that and and sort of believe in that or you don't so you know, when I think about his performance in First Man yeah just think that it's just phenomenal you can see it all on his face and in his reactions Funny, he, I thought he, he was doesn't asleep oversell it he just he sort of internalizes it and expects you to sort of the camera goes up close to him edits so that you can see his emotions and it's all there. I think he's great. I really do. The only performances I really like now in, in retrospect is The Big Short, where he plays a cocky con artist because he's fooled us all for years, Phil. Oh. He is not that good. <laughs> Come I, on, guys. I, 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 on, well, obviously, on, I, I, I like him. I li- oh, I that's like- it then. Neil likes him. That's it. My, my like argument's him. been shot down. Uh, I so- thought he was brilliant in First Man. I thought that those intense scenes trying to get the X-13 space plane back through the atmosphere. That wasn't him, Graham. That was in in special effects. I thought that was... He he was acting his socks off there. As You know, you got the real feeling that here is a man who's totally ice cold. Everything's... He's about to die, and yet he's just constantly focusing. And that's fine, but it's the same performance in every film. No, it's not. If you look at him in it's not, though. Blade if Runner watch, 2049, yeah, say, it's completely different. If you look different. at something like Only God Forgives... I haven't um, seen that one. Or if you look at something like Nice Guys, like where he's 
just, I mean, I think that's one of the funniest films. Me too. Um, it is last funny, few yeah. years. And I think they're going to be doing a sequel, or at least I oh, hope good. they are, because Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling together were just hilarious. Russell Crowe saved that. Oh, good grief. No. <laughs> no. What? He is good. There's a subtlety to him, which obviously goes past you. Yeah, right? exactly. You guys, you, you have fallen into the political landscape. You're not the most subtle of... person in the world, Jeff, and I Me? think that probably makes you... Subtle? Yes. <laughs> As a brick. Are you aware of the phrase blindingly obvious, Jeff? <laughs> no, no I, I, I agree. I've, I've enjoyed him in everything. Whether he'll be remembered, I don't know. What awards uh, he got, Phil? Uh, he's just had two Oscar nominations. I mean, not talking about any of the other awards, but if we're talking just solely on Oscars, he got nominated for Best Actor for Half Nelson and Best Actor for La La Land. Right, a film in which he couldn't sing or couldn't dance. <laughs> oh, come but on. He's still brilliant, I've got to disagree there. So how did that <laughs> he can happen? certainly sing and dance. Go what? On. Yes. This is why you people slate that trailer for Cats. You, you have no people. understanding of music Musicals. Why? Because you think musicals peaked in the 40s. He plays the piano in 50s, that. 50s, actually, with the 50s. Uh, Singing in the Rain. All right, so he Cabaret's the, got nothing He played on. the piano. Did he play the piano? I don't know. I must yeah. have, he I learned must have nodded to play off, the piano. He learned to play the piano specifically for that film. He didn't bloody learn to dance, did he? <laughs> Obviously. Okay, so I don't think I'm going to win this one with Jeff. No. Well, certainly, well, neither, of, neither of us are backing down. No, no, that's right. But the two are on your side. Take credit in that. Welcome to our world. Uh, yeah, welcome welcome to the sheep. Oh, um, sh- <laughs> Yo, sheeple. Neil, <laughs> over to you. Get us out of this. Well, I, 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 my one, I was going to choose somebody and he was already taken, so I went the opposite direction. Tom Hardy. I responded to the, the manic nature of um, the internal conflict and dynamic between numerous personas say and Ebenem is a reflective of the inside voice the things I would love to do if I could but I must not because social symbolic order and social etiquette says that actually that's morally and ethically wrong outstanding now, let's bite all the heads off and pile them up in the corner. Why would we do that? Venom doesn't, you know, he, he supersedes all interest in any value system, not such as, because he's an alien. So he's primal in that aspect, and he's powerful. So it gives complete freedom to engage in that at a symbolic level and can be embraced and celebrated. So I enjoyed that from a human point of view. And Eddie Brock, I enjoyed for the fact that, you know, when given this power, what's the saying when you have great power thrust upon you or something like that? Uh, With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, but if you don't want it and, and you have, you're have you reluctant to it, then that gives you a genuine reluctant hero. Unfortunately, he's being typecast as a hard man. Okay, fine. But he started in BBC dramas and won most promising newcomer awards in the theatre when he was younger. He got his big chance in rock and roller as Anson Bob. And then put on three stones to do Bronson. Everything he's in, it's amazing. He's he's always committed, obviously. I mean, he was uh, in Warrior, where he had to fight people, and he got into a, quite a fight Excuse in the me, final. Yeah. Sorry, and he's, you, you missed out Graham's favourite, Star, Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's a larger-than-life character. And how, how many other people like that? Well, maybe Marlon Brando was larger-than-life, oh. perhaps. Maybe we could go for that. No, maybe not. I, role, I prefer Ryan Gosling to Brando. He's, he's, he's every role, can I continue? Every role he undertakes, he's remembered for. Revenant, Dunkirk, Venom, Mad Max, Bootlegger in, in Lawless, Bane in Dark Knight Rises, probably the best thing in it. 
warrior, Tinker Tailor soldier spy, Eames in Inception. He is a force of nature. Mm. It's when he's on screen, he's just in your face. Uh, and he's got true star power, but he hates celebrity. And has he won anything? No, because um, generally awards go to the studio that campaigns harder for <laughs> the, uh, that specific person and he won't do all the advertising and, and that no. sort of stuff and the marketing. So it's a bit difficult. Everything he's in, he is good. Mad Max Fury Road was blistering performance. And I think if he continues and he starts doing other stuff, obviously Venom didn't help my argument. Um, uh, I but, thought Venom was really good. Yeah, yeah, it was. But it's I the same sort Venom. of role yeah. where he's a sort of what he was in this one is a little bit of a wimpy mm. sort of person. But still, he was a, an investigative reporter to start with. I think he's going to be around for a very long time. He's he doesn't do that many films. He does the odd one here and there, and each one he does, he does properly and well. And he's got a name for himself now, which is is good. He certainly has a name for himself because DiCaprio wouldn't make The Revenant without Hardy starring alongside him. And I understand they held back part of the film yeah. in to make sure they could get him. So I think that's that's really good. I think one of his best performances, which is in Locke, yes, just basically Locke as well. him yeah. driving the car. Yeah. Um, just talking on the phone to various people. Brilliant yeah. film. And he's fantastic in that. He's also another actor that's flipped to TV. He's done really well in Peaky Blinders. Oh, Peaky, also Peaky Blinders, he's yeah. He's done his TV as a, series. As a Jewish gangster. Yeah, and he's good in that. Yeah. And also as that TV series he did. What was the name of his TV Taboo. series? Thank you. His TV series. Did Taboo. anyone like that, though? I really didn't like that. I, 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 I really enjoyed the first couple of episodes, and then it went just totally off. Yeah, I can have no idea what it was about. Maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, he, he jumps between them all. My big problem with Tom Hardy is the mumbling. This is where the Brando thing comes in. Roles such as uh, Dunkirk to a little bit, because he had his face covered. Also Dark Knight Bane. Rises, where he played Bane. But it's this mumbling that comes into a, a number of his performances, and it's just really irritating. It's like, you know, look at Jeff Bridges. It doesn't work for him. No. It ain't going to work for you, Tom. But I think as a strong character actor, yeah. he's great. I was going to give the counter-argument to him mumbling is that he can tell the story and act with just his eyes. And that's why I think Christopher Nolan picked him, certainly for Bane and, and definitely for Dunkirk, because... He has the difficulty of he had to do both of those performances with a mask across half of his face. Yeah. But everything that he does with his eyes, just phenomenal. And the same in Mad Max Fury Road. He has this but, thing on his head, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's another one. But I do think his best performance for uh, Christopher Nolan was Inception. Mm. I think that was a real standout performance. There. And it was different as well, yeah, wasn't it? Was. it? it was a he, sort he, of smart-talking Englishman. He has a lot of range. Yeah. Now, now, that's what I really like about him. Yeah. You know, he can play, you know, he has a evil gift. superhero. And and the ones you mentioned before, the previous generation, Brando, De Niro, Pacino, they are larger-than-life characters. And I think he is definitely a larger-than-life character in the same way that Christian Bale is, to be fair. To, to be honest, I was going to say Christopher Lee. Um, yeah, it's got that possibly. quality about Christopher Lee where he'll always be a dependable 
supporting actor, mm. maybe not such a strong leading actor. You say that, of all the films we've mentioned, is Mad Max the only one that, where he's the lead? Well, he's Reggie and Ronnie Cray in Legend, although the film bombed. Mm. I, um, I really didn't like that film. I think that that was a, a good performance wrapped in a mediocre film. Yeah, it was a tr- crap film. These are character performances. Locke is the same. He was the only actor on screen, but he's it's a character that- he was the lead in Venom. Venom's going to be an interesting one. Again, he mumbled a lot in that film, which really annoyed me. Probably because he had a, a virus thing in from outer space. space inside all over him. his face. to do a Bronx accent badly. But I think where Venom goes from here, you know, and the roles that that will free him up to do will be very interesting. He's committed to a three-film deal. They've already said a sequel is going to start filming next year, I think. Cool. So, yeah, he's my man. My, my man for 50 years' time, maybe Better than 30. Phil. Oh, for oh, God's sake, I, would have, I, I <laughs> like outrageous? him. Well, I was going to say, my, my sort of final thought on, on um, Hardy is that I think his best work is either the physical stuff, so the, the Bronson, Warrior, and Mad Max, or his work with Nolan, because like you've already mentioned, but Inception, yeah. Dark Knight Rises and Dunkirk were just fantastic. And I don't care what anybody says, Bane is a phenomenal performance. I love it. Graham? Well, I've gone with a fairly obvious one for mine. My choice is Leonardo DiCaprio. Now in a dream, our mind continuously does this. We create and perceive our world simultaneously. And our mind does this so well that we don't even know what's happening. That allows us to get right in the middle of that process. How? By taking over the creating part. Now, this is where I need you. You create the world of the dream. We bring the subject into that dream, and they fill it with their subconscious. How could I ever acquire enough detail to make them think that it's reality? Well, dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Let me ask you a question. You you never really remember the beginning of a dream, do you? You always wind up right in the middle of what's going on. I guess, yeah. So how did we end up here? Well, we just came from the... uh... Think about it, Ariadne. How did you get here? Where are you right now? Just like, as Phil said, I associate with Leonardo because he was born in 1974, which is close to me. (laughs) (laughs) Only if you reverse the four and the seven. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) Oh, that's harsh. Thanks. (laughs) Again, I think he is the actor of our generation, or this generation, not my generation, probably. But he is phenomenal. I mean, okay, he's 45 now. But from his initial arrival on the scene he has just delivered incredible performances with his early stuff such as boy's life where he he played opposite uh, de niro through things like what's eating gilbert grape he was also in uh, romeo and juliet a film that my daughter absolutely loved absolutely loved and it's a good film i think she made me sit down and watch it half a dozen times i think um and then of course he had the great breakthrough in his career when he hit the big time at the age of 23 with uh, Titanic. And that actually comes back to something Jeff was saying, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, which (laughs) was a good point. That gave him the kudos and the ability to be able to go and do other things, interesting projects, because he always had that big film behind him and that that big role behind him. So he was able to go off and do the beach. However, 
The other thing that I think saved him from crazy life was that his link up with Martin Scorsese uh, when he did Gangs of New York. And I think Martin Scorsese is really his father figure and allowed him to develop and saved him from what happened to a lot of his friends like Tobey Maguire and uh, J.R. Ferguson and Lucas Haas and uh, Kevin Connolly, who were all in a gang of nutcases. Just to throw in on that, the, do you know the reason he ended up working with Martin Scorsese? No. De Niro, when he worked with him in A Boy's Life, turned to Scorsese and said, you've got to check this kid out. He's brilliant. Right. And that's how the whole connection started. De Niro picked him out of a casting mm. of 400 kids and he said he was the only one out of those 400 actors who auditioned for the part that totally floored him. And he just said, well, the minute he saw him, he said, I want to work with that kid. He's the one to pick. A lot of people who worked with him on Gilbert Great couldn't believe that he wasn't disabled. Yes. That's how good he was. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. So, I mean, the amount of films he's been on is, is incredible. I uh, said so, uh, Gangs of New York, Blood Diamond, Inception with Christopher Nolan, J. Edgar with Clint Eastwood, Django Unchained with Quentin Tarantino, The Great Gatsby, which people slammed but i actually thought he was brilliant in it yeah and then of course we're right up to date with the wolf of wall street and the masterpiece which is the revenant which i absolutely loved whilst i liked him in gangs of new york i, I thought he was completely overshadowed by daniel day lewis's performance and the fact that he had to wait so bloody long for um a, an oscar it also annoys me but i think he will be remembered as the actor of our generation really i I love all of his work and I, you know, I just enjoy uh, the way he performs. He is very, he really gets into the character and you really get to believe what he's portraying on film. It's just absolutely brilliant. And Martin Scorsese, I think, keeps him on the right road and makes sure that he gets to see things. The Aviator as well. That, yeah. Uh, that was just fantastic. I mean, he never got the blueprints, but, you know. <laughs> so my thoughts are that to be honest you could have just said his name and that was enough argument I think he's <laughs> I, I think he is hands down there's like I, I couldn't possibly think that you could argue against this I mean so he's won the Oscar for The Revenant he's been nominated four times for Wolf of Wall Street Blood Diamond The Aviator and Gilbert Grape I, I was looking for his filmography and he's not really made a bad film and he's he's acted alongside you mentioned De Niro but he's acted alongside um, Meryl Streep Diane Keaton and Robert De Niro in Marvin's room and just stands completely alongside them yeah um, he's acted with Russell Crowe and Gene Hackman in The Quick and the Dead so great film I forgot, uh, I forgot that yep that's a brilliant film um, and then when you look at the directors that he's worked with I mean he just Obviously, Scorsese five times. My favourite Scorsese film is with him is Shutter Island. I think that's a really underrated film. But he's worked with Spielberg, Ed Swick, Ridley Scott, Sam Mendes, Christopher Nolan, Clint Eastwood, Quentin Tarantino, Danny Boyle. I mean, yeah. at this point, he probably can do any film that he wants with any director that he wants. He's just is exceptional in terms of the performances that he gives. The, the choices he makes in terms of the films. Um, yeah, it's, he's just brilliant. And he doesn't rush at it. You no. know, he takes his time. He'll do a film every year, and sometimes he has a little bit of a gap. But, yeah, he's... He does uh, have a chameleon-like ability. I mean, in Catch Me If You Can, he had to play several yes. several roles, and he was super 
superb in that. Yeah, movie. 147 locations in 51 days that was <laughs> filmed over. It's an incredible film. So, and Neil, overall, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I I would have picked him if I hadn't if uh, Graham hadn't already had him. But that saying, uh, yeah, he is he is he's the the top man at the moment, isn't he? Of that age group. Yeah, um, and it and, could have all gone so badly wrong for me. I mean, he was yes. he was a wild boy round about in nineteen ninety nine two thousand. And, and that is the danger that he overcame. You know, he, he came out of Titanic. You know, he was a, he'd made his way in art movies. He'd yep. gotten to Titanic. He then did vanity projects like The Man in the Iron Mask. He then made The Beach by having Ewan McGregor thrown out so he could appear in it. There was this huge danger that this ego could destroy him. But I do think you're right. I think Scorsese got him on the on the path where he should be. He's concentrated on an actor. He's a great environmentalist as yep. well. I, I think without question, he is one of the greats. And his name, his name just having his name associated with the it movie a film, doesn't will it? just bring so much money to it and so much interest to it. And, you yeah. know, he's, that, he's got that real star quality now that, that will mark him out. We've got great things expected of him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That could be a really cracking good film. Everything he does, everything he picks up yep. seems to turn to gold, doesn't it? I think, yes, as a performer, his choice of roles, the immersive quality he brings to his roles is incredible. He brings an intensity to it, doesn't he? I think, without question, this guy is one of the greats. Mm. Right, okay, moving on to the final one of the evening, Christian Bale. You like Huey Lewis on the news? They're okay. Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. In 87, Huey released this for their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends, it's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Now, the most important quality you have to remember about Mr. Bale, he's Welsh. Like Richard I knew Burton. that was coming. Yeah. Was coming. Oh, good. <laughs> like Richard Burton and Anthony Hopkins. Oh, it is the Ryan mark Atlow. of a class actor. But he's <sighs> another actor who, I mean, he's got one Oscar for The Fighter. He's been nominated numerous times for Vice, The Big Short, and American Hustle. And he's had an interesting career in that he started, I guess, a bit like DiCaprio as a child actor. He started in Empire of the Sun and Henry V did a really good version of Treasure Island for TV. He then managed to get that link into adult films, initially through something like Little Women, which I think is a great film. What cemented him was American Psycho. So you tend to forget the things around that when he played a villain in Shaft in the 2000 version with Samuel L. Jackson, which wasn't that great. He then did The Machinist, 
And then he did great. great. And the, the weight loss on that was just mm, scary. Extraordinary. He knows how to milk the commercial world. You know, he did the Batman films, the Batman trilogy with Nolan. He did try with that Terminator Salvation, which I, I don't think quite guy. worked. But he's linked now with two directors, David O. Russell, where he did The Fighter, also Adam McKay, where he did The Big Short and Vice. He's been around, essentially, over 30 years. He's still going strong. He's much more in a... De Niro mold, sort of character actor-ish rather than a great leading man. So he's not a DiCaprio in that sense, but he's an actor's actor for my mind. And I think that, and obviously the fact he's Welsh, will (laughs) cement him in history. (laughs) Phil, is that your argument? That he's Welsh. So despite the fact he's loaded with talent and he's really, really good at what he does, it's just the fact he's Welsh. because... Because he's Welsh and some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Welsh. <laughs> Dear old Lord. Um, I think that the comparison with De Niro is really good in that I think that Christian Bell is a really brooding, heavyweight kind of an actor. So he's super intense in everything that he does. And the one that I pick out recently in, in that vein is there was a really, really great Western a couple of years ago called Hostiles. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah. Yes. It, it's like his quintessential Christian Bell, like almost like monosyllabic, intense, everything's in like the eyes. Because De Niro was famous for um, his weight loss in Raging Bull. You mentioned The Machinist, but he, so he obviously lost a lot of weight, Rescue Dawn and The Machinist put on the weight American Hustle and Batman. But it was the fact that I think Machinist was just before Batman. So he went from dangerously underweight to then obviously having to put it all back on, but then turn it into muscle for Batman, which was just crazy. And you mentioned directors. You said David O. Russell and Adam McKay. He's also done a couple of Terrence Malick films. I'm a big Malick fan, so I always like point out to like, Ryan Gosling's done a Terence Malick film. Uh, Christian Bale's done a couple. And he's also been in a Ridley Scott film for Christopher Nolan. So the three Batmans and the Prestige. Yeah. And I guess if you could even count Michael Mann with Public Enemies, although that was probably one of Michael Mann's sort of lesser works. I agree, I think he's really, really intense. I'm not sure he's done a comedy, though. Has he ever done a comedy? I don't think he could do a comedy, and this is the problem with De Niro. This is why De Niro's gone into comedy later in life, because he failed spectacularly at comedy when he was younger. Bogart Slept Here was a production that had to be stopped part of the way through because De Niro just couldn't do comedy. Midnight Run. But that was later on in his career then, when he started coming back into it. You know, I'm talking about the... You know, when he had his breakaway real success with the likes of Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, New York, New York. In the middle of all of that, uh, and Godfather 2, in the middle of all of that was Bogart Slept Here, a Neil Simon comedy, which had to be scrapped, later redone as The Goodbye Girl. The one thing, again, going back to where Bale is going, one of the films I'm really looking forward to seeing later this year is Le Mans 66, James Mangold's film, with whom he made another great Western, 310 to Yuma. And you know, there's yep. nobody better than Welsh people to star in Westerns because we have such a huge affinity with the West. Because <laughs> we live in the West of our country, is that it? This is a phenomenon that's not picked up on that often. But the, the link between Welsh people and the, and the American West, Jesse James was Welsh. Jesse James. So were lots of English people and Scottish no, no, people no, 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 and Irish the people. Amount, if you travelled around South Wales, you would see loads of houses called Ponderosa after Bonanza. 
It's this a big, big affinity with the Welsh, with the American West. We created it. <laughs> That's so why it's people it's like, your fault. What? The American how West? The American you, West. How much have you had to drink? And the indigenous in Indians. Just how much have you had to drink? Drink. Is that, where's that bottle of Rioja? It's gone now. Is Should it? we no, just you've... get you some crayons and put you in a corner? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You see what we have to work with here, Phil? Yeah, it's yeah. Just, Can I know, suggest to you constant. guys who are mocking me here to go, please watch Twin Town? I've and seen Twin Town. Right, and look at the links to um, to American Western films. Well, the Ponderosa cool. keeps cre- coming up time and time again. The whole film is based on it. But you lose in the thread. Christian Bale is Welsh. He was born in Haverford West, so he has this Welsh affinity. So he can do Westerns. Hostiles, Three Tender Humour, fantastic. Hostiles was incredible. And the other thing I liked about Hostiles is that he – did all that acting with his eyes because he had a massive beard yes. the moustache. Whole, and moustache, yeah. yeah. And he was working through all that face hair, yeah. One thing, and I think it's like maybe because we've picked, I think our, the, the age of the men we've picked is slightly older than perhaps the women, but I think it really, really highlights, and um, Graham mentioned it earlier about women of colour sort of roles, but if you look at the four men that we've picked, and the swathe of like amazing roles that they've been able to do in their sort of 15, 20 years of acting. Yep. And then you look at the women and you look at the roles that they've been able to pick. Like It does feel like there's a better opportunity out there for, yeah. for male actors. Yeah, the difference between men and women <sighs> is quite... Is quite shocking. You know, the, the women yes. just don't get the roles. It's an odd situation where, I mean, I guess, I don't know, like maybe it's just sort of the way that the industry is sort of male-dominated in terms of directors. But, yeah, I think that Catherine Bigelow proves that you can put somebody like Jessica Chastain in a hard-hitting sort of film like Zero Dark Thirty and it'd be really, really good stuff. Yeah. And and it'd be interesting. You know, when I think of, I mean, I love like Scorsese and Christopher Nolan and Ridley Scott, but how many films have they done that are female-led? You know, I can think of uh, Thelma and Lee's Louise off the top of my head. I can't think of a single Scorsese film that's got a female lead. No, that's a fair point. I can't. Struggling. I'm struggling. No, there isn't. I'm sure one there isn't one. To no, there isn't one. No, there isn't one. The there nearest is. you can get, I suppose, would be Lisa Minnelli in New York, New York. But, you know, that's because, you know, you do what you know, right? So you need more Catherine Bigelow's to sort of put more women front and centre. I guess we mentioned Emily Blunt, Sicario with Dennis Villeneuve, but, you know, he's he's got a phenomenal performance out of Emily Blunt. And she wasn't recognised. It's interesting. Nope. No, indeed, and 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 the second one was awful because she wasn't in it. it was and just she a, gave it a grounding, really, didn't she? Sort yeah. of kept it, kept the feet on the ground with all the other crap going on. So I think it's interesting. We've discussed eight people, seven very talented, and oh, he never stops, does he? Why are you picking on the Welsh guy? <laughs> And I think it is worth coming back to this. Uh, I think you suggested this, Phil, already. We'll come back to this next year and see where we are. Are these still the eight or are others up and coming to potentially take their places? Yeah, well, the one that I was really tempted to pick, but I knew that Ryan Gosling would annoy you, and I also think he is great, but the one I was really tempted to pick was Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, 
Yeah, I had a look at him. Joker's going to be out at the end of this year. Yes. And frankly, if it's as much of like the King of Comedy as the trailer suggests it is, and Joaquin Phoenix and De Niro put in sort of performances that De Niro and Jerry Lewis put in for that, it could be brilliant. But it is directed by the dude who did um, the Hangover films, so... Oh. Yeah. Not very often I'd say that's a superhero film I'm looking forward to, but this falls into that. Okay, we've taken a snapshot of eight. Yeah. Let's come back to this next year then and see where we are. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. That Thanks, was brilliant. guys. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.